Praise God. One more time, I would like to welcome our guests today. If you're a guest, we are so glad to have you in service with us today. Thank you for being here. If you're watching us online this morning, wherever you're joining us from, we welcome you as a part of this service today. Give honor to Bishop Wright. Glad to have him in service with us this morning. Praise God. Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. What a sweet presence of the Lord in this place today. And I am confident that God has not finished what He wants to do in this service here today. Luke 11, excuse me, Luke 15, verse 11. Scripture says, And He said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted. There wasted. Did not invest, did not properly take care of it. He just wasted his substance with riotous living. I want to preach to you this morning for a few minutes on this subject, the Father's posture. The Father's posture. Father, thank you for your presence. As we honor earthly fathers today, we honor you as the heavenly Father as well because you are the ultimate Father. There is no other Father like you. You are the perfect Father that is perfect in all of your ways. I feel your presence in this sanctuary today and I believe, God, that you have already touched and ministered to hearts and lives in this place, but I also believe that through your word you're going to speak to somebody this morning. I pray, God, you would give someone not only ears to hear, but faith to receive what you would say today. I trust you and depend upon you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The word posture, according to Webster's, means this. It is the position or bearing of the body, whether characteristic or assumed for a special purpose. It also means the state or condition at a given time, especially with respect to capability in particular circumstances. I realize, if I could just say quickly at the outset of this message this morning, no doubt there are people in this room today that your experience with a father has not been a good one. There's... Guaranteed in a group of people this size, there are people who have had a very bad experience with their earthly father. Varying degrees of that. Some to the degree of abuse in various ways, and some maybe it was just the fact that he was in your life, but he wasn't really present, didn't really pay attention. And so from that standpoint, Maybe when you think of God as a father because of your earthly reference, that's not the most welcoming thing. But as we have just sung, He 
as the heavenly Father is perfect in all of His ways. If you're a guest this morning, Bishop Wright, that we have honored today, the bishop of this church, happens to also be my father. And I have been blessed for 44 years to have, I think, as near perfect of a father as you can have. There's no such thing as an earthly perfect father. None of us, no matter how good, are perfect. I have been extremely blessed, and I honor him today as my father before he was ever my Well, I guess he was my pastor at the same time he became my father, but whether he's my pastor or not, or my boss or not, he will always be my father. So I'm blessed today with a very positive, natural example of what a father is. But I want to challenge you for the next few moments, those of you that perhaps, again, have had a negative experience, if you would just lay that aside for a few minutes, because... I've come to talk to you this morning about the father of fathers. The passage I am reading from, and we'll read another verse from it in a moment, is somewhat of a familiar passage to most. We refer to it as the story of the prodigal son. And a lot of times the focus is on the son. And sometimes we preach about the elder brother because he had a little bit of an attitude problem and there's some lessons that we as Christians should learn from his attitude. And a lot of time though the focus is about the younger son and there's really actually some very uh, positive lessons and encouraging things that we can learn from the from the younger son and so it's it's the story of the prodigal son but there's really a lot more to it than just the son the verses we've read so far he was the youngest had an elder brother and the bible says he comes to his father and asks i would like my inheritance now I got to tell you, I, my, my, I've got four kids. The eldest is 19. In fact, the two girls that just sang the verses are my my uh, daughters, and I don't need any other Father's Day gifts now. That's you can't top that. I've got two boys, 15 and 13, and I got to tell you, if the 13-year-old came to me and said. One day when you die, I'm going to get an inheritance, which based on current circumstances, that really is not the case. But don't tell him that. (laughs) When you die, I'm going to get an inheritance, but I actually, I'd like that now. I'd like you to go ahead and give that to me right now. Uh, That would have been a very short conversation. That may have been one of those times that I've talked about before where there was no verbal answer needed that I would have simply given my answer by my face. Are you kidding me? I mean, I I would feel very disrespected by that. I know, hopefully I'll leave you something, but to ask me for it now, To tell me you want to get it now? And yet the father in this story, according to the scripture, willingly and probably knowing in advance, 
You have no, you do not have the level of maturity needed to handle what I'm about to give you. And what has taken me a lifetime to accumulate, you are not ready for, but if you're bold enough to ask for it, I will go ahead and give it to you. And he divides up the inheritance among the younger and the elder and gives the younger the inheritance. And verse number 13 says, it, it wasn't many days after that that he gathers together and he takes his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. That probably in our day is some serious partying. He just went and blew it on whatever he wanted to do that provided fun and excitement to him, whatever thrills he could get. And in just a short time, the next several verses tell us, in just a short time, everything his father had spent a lifetime working for and had given him his share of, in just a few days was gone. Bible says he wakes up and realizes I've now blown everything I have received of my father. I'm down to nothing. And the scripture tells us he was working in a pig pen and he was, it was so bad. Things had gotten so bad that he was almost about to start having dinner with the pig. Rather than just feeding them, he was about to eat with them. And, and he, and he, and he kind of has a moment of realization that, you know what, even the servants in my father's house have it better than the way I'm living. The workers in my dad's house are doing a lot better than I'm doing. The scripture tells us that he decides that he's going to go back home and 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 on his way back home he is rehearsing in his mind what he is going to say and he's made up his mind I'm going to go home and I'm going to ask my father would you just let me be a servant I realize I've taken your your lifelong living that you've accumulated and I've wasted it in a few days I don't deserve to be your son anymore, but would you at least hire me as one of your servants? Realize it doesn't really tell us all the specifics, but if you would permit me for a moment, and if you would join me in using your imagination for a moment, I, I just sort of picture this young man as he is making the journey back home, replaying over and over in his mind the scenario that he is expecting to happen. He's going over and over in his mind the speech that he is going to say to his dad. Anybody ever had one of those kind of situations? Maybe it was a parent and you had gotten in trouble or maybe it was a boss and you, you had it all, what you were, you were rehearsing everything you were gonna say. You could, you, you could hear in your mind the inflection in your voice and you were imagining the, the, the bodily expressions and the, the posture that you were going to take. I don't know how long the, the walk was from the pig pen to the father's house. The scripture says he took the inheritance and he went into a 
far country. So it was a little ways away. There were no trains. There were no Greyhound buses. There were no cars. There were no bicycles. So more than likely, maybe there was a horse he rode, but probably he had to walk, which just meant more time. There was no Walkmans. All the teens are gone, or the younger teens. We do have some... Need a couple of you adults to help our teens out that are still here. There, there were no iPods, iPhones. There was no personal listening devices to have a distraction. There was just the surroundings. And in his mind, I'm sure, the replaying over and over and over. I, I, had, I had a few encounters I knew were coming. As a child and a teenager that I was not looking forward to at all. I, I had some idea of how it was going to play out. Unfortunately for me, my imagination was a little more accurate than the prodigals. My dad was the fastest draw in the East. He could pull a belt unbuckle it, pull it out, and all in one motion, by the time the hand got here, it was wrapped around with about six inches left to go. That was never done in a moment of anger or rage. It was pre-planned. It was premeditated. He was completely calm. I was freaking out on the inside, but he was calm. I never mastered that skill. I just always got a collection of paint sticks from Home Depot. Of course, some of you parents know the problem with that when you're walking through Home Depot and all your kids are asking, why they got spanking sticks in the store, Dad? Shh, shh, quiet, be quiet. He had it worked out in his mind what's going to happen. And, and, and you know what? What he had done is a lot worse than most of what I had ever done. He had taken whatever size of inheritance he had and in just a couple of days completely wasted it. So he's on his way home. The problem was his imagination, his expectation of the father's posture was completely inaccurate. I probably shouldn't try to pronounce this name because I'm sure I will mess it up, but I'll try anyway. Dr. Albert Maraban Marabian, author of Silent Messages, conducted several studies on nonverbal communication. He found that 7% of any message is conveyed through words, 38% through certain vocal elements, and 55% through nonverbal elements such as facial expressions, gestures, and posture. It's not just what you say that communicates, it's your voice inflection that communicates. You can use the same word but change the inflection and it's something completely different. We know that. We can say a sentence with a certain inflection and it's a statement. You say the exact same sentence with different inflection and it becomes a question. And then there's the whole thing of body language. If you are married today and your spouse is sitting there telling you that they love you and yet they're looking all off into space and wondering 
their, their eyes are wandering around, but they're saying, I love you. That there's some verb, there's some nonverbal communication that's happening. I hear your words, but I'm getting another message at the same time. According to the doctor, it's only 7% of the words that are the communication, all these other things. Verse number 20 says this, Luke chapter 15. You see, while the son is making his way back home, that's all he knows is what he's doing. He does not know the other side of what's going on. Because on the other end is the father... The son arises and comes to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You see, what I think the father's posture was and I don't think based on that day and time they had porches and porch swings like we have today. But if you would just permit me in what we're used to today, I just kind of imagine the father sitting on the front porch on his porch swing and sitting there looking down the road waiting in anticipation because maybe from the very beginning, Maybe from the moment he gave that inheritance to his son, he knew exactly what was going to happen. You are going to go and waste this and there's nothing to do. There's going to be nothing to show for it. And when you get to that point, you're going to realize you had it pretty good at home. And so I am going to be waiting and my posture is going to be a posture of welcome. Not going to be sitting there, arms crossed, with a scowl on my face. Let's go back to the sun side. Can you imagine as he's walking towards home and now perhaps can see the house and he recognizes sitting on the porch is his father and he's rehearsing a few more times this speech and all of a sudden he sees his father get up And not only does he get up, he starts to run toward him. I just, I just imagine that from the son's side, the speech he had been rehearsing based on his expectation of what was going to happen. I just got a feeling his pulse speeded up. Heart started pounding and he started thinking, I'm not even going to make it home. I'm not even going to have another chance. He's racing towards me to tell me, you better get out of here. I don't want to see you again. I don't want anything to do with you again. You better turn around and go back where you came from. I just have to believe that's what started going through his mind in those few... Oh man, I'm not even going to get a chance to get to the door and give my speech. It's done with. Imagine those last few seconds. Those last few seconds as the father is approaching him. I, I just imagine that heart pounding even harder in his chest and his... And, His pulse going and, 
Oh, no, here it is. I'm done. And the father falls on him and hugs him, embraces him, and kisses him. And before he could ever get the words out of his mouth, before he could ever even start to give the speech that he had worked so hard and prepared for so long, before that could even happen, after the father does that, he starts yelling out orders to his household, to the servants. I need you to get this. I need a new robe. I need a new ring. I, I need some new shoes. And once you get all of that for my son, I want you to get the fatted calf and I want you to get the food ready and I want you to get ready to party because my son, my son has come home. Hold on just a minute. You mean you're not going to scold? You mean you're not going to rebuke? You mean you're not going to give me the whipping of my lifetime? You mean you're not going to tell me how lousy and no good I am because of what I've done? That, that's really what I was expecting. But the posture of the father is he stands waiting with open arms that it does not matter what you've done. It does not matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up. It doesn't matter how much you knew better than what you did. He sits on the porch and he watches waiting for that moment that you start towards home. And in that moment, he gets up and runs to meet you and embrace you. Oh, hallelujah. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. I don't care where you've been. The bottom line is there's not one of us today in this place that's ever done it all right. I realize from a natural perspective, some of us have done worse than others. I realize from a natural perspective, some of you have been better than others. But from the perspective of this, that matters the most and really is only thing my opinion and your opinion doesn't matter what society says doesn't matter what culture says doesn't matter this book puts us all in one category and in that category there's no hierarchy there's no classes in that category. And that category is this. The scripture says it this way. All. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter what you did to define you as a sinner. The Bible says we've all sinned. And the good news is that for every sinner, there is a Savior. For every sinner, there is a Father who waits with open arms. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. I, I don't know. I, I preached a message a little while back on a couple of times in a couple of different congregations on Sunday mornings before this transition. And as they were singing, they came back to me. I don't know if you really get the significance of the words 
You're a good, good father. That's who you are. I got to tell you, I try, I try really hard to be a good father. I try really hard, but I have to try to be a good father in my nature, in myself. I don't think I'm by default a good father. I've got flaws. I, I've got character flaws that sometimes influence my reaction. I, there have been times my kids have done stuff and I, my response is, it's not, not a good, good father. I've now entered that phase that most fathers have experienced where your sons start borrowing stuff. They're still at home, so fortunately it's not far away. But it's not where it was. I hope you don't question my manhood because of this. If you do, I apologize, but part of my hair routine requires a blow dryer. I know some of you manly men have no need of that, but I need one. Apparently, which I will be working this week to rectify this issue, apparently my son's blow dryer got left on vacation. So, you know what? It, these words are uttered. I'll, I'll bring it right back. Bring it right back. Bring it right back. I, I went... It was somebody's, I think it was for a wedding a couple of weeks ago. I go in my closet to get my belt. My belt that I need, that I'm planning to wear. It's gone. It's disappeared. I had a sneaking suspicion where it was. I sent a text. Do you have my belt? Well, yeah, I thought you wouldn't need it. How do you just presume I won't need it? And, and you know what? I, I'm working really hard because I know... I know what I've done. I know what I've borrowed with the intent of returning. Because every now and then you borrow something you think probably is not really being used, so you borrow it knowing I'm probably not bringing it back, but I'm going to use the word borrow. And you know what I've done? I did it this morning. Dad, I need to blow it. Okay, I'll bring it. I didn't even have to ask. It was stated. I'll bring it back. Okay, great. And yet I'm thinking... And you know what, in that initial moment, when I went to reach for it and it hadn't been brought yet, I felt it start to rise. And I thought, you know what, no, it's really not worth it. All I got to do is walk 15, 20 feet and get it, bring it back, and just keep on going. 
There's really not a point in scolding. There's really not a point in rebuking because it's probably going to happen again. But more importantly than that, I guess I kind of realize I'm glad I've got something to share. And I'm glad I've got somebody that's interested in sharing what I have. But I, I have to work for that. There have been a few times I had to work to not get angry and mad because of behavior. But, but the words say, would you, would you put those words back up the course, please? The words say, you are. That's who you are. There was a man, I, I'm almost done, but bear with me for a moment. There was a man that came to Jesus and said, good master. Jesus responded and said, why callest thou me good? There's only one that is good. And so we say God is good. But the challenge for you and I is, when we say that, we have our natural frame of mind. And when we say something or someone is good, when we say someone is good, it's because of what they do. It is not because of who they are. Jesus said, there's one that is good. You follow the NBA finals at all, there's some players that they are good depending on the performance of the night. And then when they have an off night, they're not good. I am a good husband when I do things as a good husband. I'm a good father when I do things as a good father. But do you understand the difference with him? He is not a good father because of what he does. His actions do not make him a good father. His conduct does not make him a good father. His nature, his essence, his character, who he is, is good. Who he is, is a good, good father. If I was the father of that son, I am positive I would have had to sat on that porch and talk myself into opening arms to a child that just wasted everything I had given. But a good, good father, like the heavenly father, doesn't have to talk himself in to running down the road and embracing a son. That's just who he is. That's just who He is. And so I preach to people today, whether you come here all the time or you're a guest today, I preach to some people today that I'm quite sure your perspective of a father is not that. But I've come to tell you on Father's Day today, there is one that is a good, good father. There's one that will always be a good, good father. There's some days I do a lot better than other days. There's some days I lay down at night and I can think, you know what, I was a pretty good father today. But there's some other days I lay down and I think about the day and I think I could have done that different and I should have done, I shouldn't have reacted that way. I shouldn't have got frustrated like I did about that. And, and, and so it's not every day for me, but at the end of every day, there is a good, good father who is perfect.
In all of his ways, Sister Trish, come please. In all of his ways. I preached to some folks this morning, again, whether you're a guest or you're come here all the time, that you've been working over and over and over in your mind, your speech, as you know what you've done. You know the things that you've messed up on. You know the things God has entrusted you with and you've wasted and you've blown. Can I tell you, there is a father this morning whose posture is such that he waits with anticipation for the moment not to be able to to deal out punishment and discipline. But he waits in anticipation of a moment to be able to show love, mercy, kindness. Did that, if anybody ever deserved a scolding, if anybody ever deserved rebuke, if anybody ever deserved discipline, that son deserved it. He didn't just take a cookie from the cookie jar. He didn't just he didn't just lie about doing his homework when he hadn't done it. I mean, he took what was precious to the father and absolutely wasted it. And if any father ever had a right to be angry and mad at a son, that father did. And yet he waited with love and compassion. And when he didn't, there's a song, old older song, that says, When God ran. When God ran. The, the only time I ever saw him run is when he ran to me. And he took me in his arms and he held me in that embrace and said, My son has come home again. That's the only time God ran. I know we don't have the benefit that the prodigal had of physically seeing a father running towards us to meet us. Can I tell you what we have felt already in this place today is really just what I'm preaching about. It is a father who is reaching for a son, for a daughter. It's a father who is waiting Anxious for the moment to be able to show love, mercy, grace. Would you just for a moment, right where you are, just close your eyes. If, if you're a guest, if you're, if you would, please, maybe you're not quite comfortable with that, but if you just, just for a moment. We're not here today for religion. We're not here today to punch a clock that says we went to church and put in our time did our thing but we're here today because there's a good good father in fact there's a good good father here today that there's some of you that you've really yet to experience him as a good good father some of you know what it's like in your past to experience him as a good good father but it's been a little while since you've been reminded personally that he He's a good, good father. I, I preached to some people today that it's not been that long, relatively speaking, that there's been a void now in your life because you've lost a natural father 
But again, I preach to people today that you've lived for decades perhaps with the void because your father was never really a good father. But today in this sanctuary, as we have sung about, there is a good, good father. If you would today, he is willing to do for you just like he did for the son in the story we read about with open arms embrace you today with open arms welcome you today because he's a good good father in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus if you would maybe there's somebody close by you the Lord is talking to right now whether it's a again a guest or somebody that's here all the time there's somebody around you and you recognize the Spirit of the Lord is talking to them right now, would you would you perhaps just reach over and join with them right now and begin to pray with them? Come on. There has been such a wonderful presence of the Lord here all morning. And, 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 and I believe actually what it's all been leading us toward really is where we are right now at this moment that there is a heavenly father who has waited with great anticipation for today for right now because there's some sons and there's some daughters that he has been anticipating this moment not to meet you with judgment and criticism not to meet you with rebuke but to meet you with open arms that says my son my daughter has come home They once were lost, but now they're found. They've wandered and roamed, and there's some things that were precious that they have wasted, but I'm not going to chastise them for it. I'm not going to rebuke them for it. I'm going to welcome them back home because I'm a good, good father. That's who I am. Come on, church, be sensitive to the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, church, there's some more folks that need somebody. Please, if you're not responding for yourself, if you are, that's fine. But if you're not responding for yourself, would you please be sensitive to the Holy Ghost right now? Oh, that's who I am. Somebody needs to know today you are loved by Him. That's who you are. You're loved by Him today. That's who you are. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 You know exactly what I need. You know exactly what I need. That's who you are. Oh, that's who you are. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who I am. I'm loved by you. I'm not rejected by you. I'm not scorned by you. You don't look at me with disdain. 
I'm loved by you. I'm loved by you. In spite of my failures, in spite of my mistakes, in spite of all that I've done so wrong, I'm loved by you. Father, sweet heavenly Father, sweet heavenly Father, would you let someone feel that embrace today? Would you let someone feel the same embrace that the prodigal son felt as he made his way back home? Let somebody feel that today. Let somebody know they're loved by you. Oh, that's who you are. That's who you are. That's not what you try to do. That's not what you try to be. That's who you are. That's who you are. try to be that. That's who you are. You don't have to work to be that. That's just who you are. 